Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Why don't you go with me to Exodus chapter 33 and read from verses 12 to 18. Can't tell you how happy I am to be back with you all. Um, we've had an amazing few weeks away. The Lord's been doing wonderful things. We're in multiple cities across Europe and America. We visited our Numa San Francisco location and um, the impact and influence of what God is doing here really is touching the four corners of the world. I have people coming up to us, as you already heard Pastor Stacy share, that people coming up to us saying, hey, for the last six months, you know, I've been listening to the podcasts and watching the YouTube in Germany and right throughout Europe, states, churches that already have so much in God happening, leaning in, and um, it's a testimony to what God's doing, not what man's doing, what God's doing. And uh, we need to not become overly familiar with that, but to honour what God's doing here, but to celebrate it, that we get to be a part of this. So you good? We could just finish now. Is anyone hungry for the word today? All right. Here we go. Exodus 33, 12 to 18. Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. You know, some people, they wanna know God's ways so that they can get ahead in life. They can be more successful. They can fulfil their dreams. Moses wanted to know God's ways because he wanted to know God. And there's a fundamental difference. And I want us to be a people that have such a pure heart and motive to know the ways of God because we just want to know Him better. And, and this is the amazing thing is that you, you can't outgive God. God will always give back more than you could ever imagine. He can do exceeding and abundant above all that you and I could ever ask, think or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. And that power doesn't just come because you pray about it and you say, God, give me your power. True power in the Spirit actually comes as we get to know His ways better and we get to know Him. True power comes through relationship, intimacy. And here is Moses as a prototype, an example, and he's saying, God, I wanna know you. Consider too that this nation is your people. He's reminding God of his covenantal promises. And he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, this is Moses to God, 
do not bring us up from here. Moses understands that there is this correlation between the presence that he stewards and carries and the grace and anointing that is upon God's people. And he's saying, I esteem it so highly, Lord, if it's not with me or on me, don't let us move from this place. I wanna say to you, uh, parents, I wanna say to you, leaders, I wanna say to you, pastors, staff, business owners, um, you have a responsibility to steward the presence of God on behalf of the sake of others. That it's not just about you and your personalized, individualized relationship with God. Your life, how you steward your life, what you do has ramifications for others. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favour in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses finally said, please show me your glory. I really believe today, and over the last few weeks, it's, it's been evident from all the texts and photos and clips that I've been seeing of what's been happening here, totally jealous, wanting to be back, um, is that we are at a defining moment in the life of our church that I believe the Lord is setting us up for a second wave of His Holy Spirit, a second wave of revival, a second wave of outpouring. And the beautiful thing about it is you never need to come to the end of it because when you walk with Jesus, there's always more. There's always more. Who's up for that, by the way? And so today I wanna speak to you on this idea and this subject, His presence is our priority. His presence is our priority because over the last 15 months, we have been seeing a tangible increase in the manifest presence of God, signs, wonders, and miracles. And I really believe that it's important that um, we give language to what God is already doing. This message today is not preempting something to come. It's about defining what is. And it's becoming very self-evident that the presence of the Lord, the manifest presence of the Lord is starting to become more tangible. We're becoming more aware of it. It's marking our gatherings. It's marking what's happening. I love what George Otis says, who is a researcher of revival. He says, the one common denominator in every move of God is that a small group of people radically committed themselves to one thing, hosting the presence of God. And I think it grieves the father's heart when his bride becomes distracted by other things than the bridegroom. There's something that grieves his heart when you and I are caught up and distracted by things that take us away from the purity of our affection towards Jesus. And so if you and I are gonna prioritize the presence of God as his bride, as his church, we've got to deprioritize ourselves which means there are things that we will need to repent of, have a change of thinking about. There are things that we will need to relearn. There are things that we used to tolerate in our life we can no longer tolerate. There are things that we used to entertain that no longer do we have an appetite for. There are things and shifts and changes that are required. 
And the Lord is bringing us into a deeper understanding and revelation. What does it mean to be a first love revival people? Because I believe that the critical message that God is giving to the body of Christ today is uh, uh, to return to your first love, to, to go back to those works, the revelator says, of intimacy that kindled your first love. Return back to that because in that you're going to find everything you need. There are things that you can get in the love of God you simply cannot get anywhere else. And I think for too long we've made church in our image and man and woman has imprinted on the church the things that we think need to happen rather than coming back to the, bat, the pattern of Scripture. What marked the 120 in the upper room? It was the presence of God. What marks the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem at the end of the age? It's that God is there. It's the presence of God. And so where we began is where we're gonna end up. This is who we are. We are people of the presence. We are children of the pneuma, of the spirit, of the wind and of the breath of God. And so it's so important that we understand that we've been invited in to this partnership, this co-laboring with God to join in prayer and declaration and living out that prayer and declaration, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What makes heaven heaven? God is there. What truly transforms a person's life? The presence and power of God. What, what changes a city, a region, a, a nation? It's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit partnered with the Word of God. I love Ezekiel's description of the city of God. In chapter 48, verse 35, he declares Jehovah Shammah, what does that mean? It means the Lord is there. When I read that, I thought, God, let it be said of Numa, the Lord is there. When people come and gather together in our events and life groups and upper room prayer and worship times and, and, and when we go and live our lives as we do, may people look at us and say, God is with them. God is there. Could there be any other testimony better than that? that people would recognise that we've been with Jesus. You know, you read in Acts 4 about the disciples and after Jesus ascended to the Father and the disciples are, are preaching the gospel and they're healing the sick and the religious establishment recognised that they'd been with Jesus. You see, when you, whoever you hang out with, traits get, get picked up along the way. When you hang out with Jesus, when you spend time in His presence, he rubs off on you. There, there are markers, there are indicators, there are signs. Oh, let people smell, see, taste and see that God is good. That's both about experience and perception. God is not a person or, or, a, or a, a doctrine, should I say, to be studied. He's a person to be experienced. And often we treat God as this clinical doctrine, line upon line, precept upon precept. And, and we think that he's bound by a book. No, you don't need to understand that the words of the author are ultimately about leading you to the author. It's about having an encounter with a person and being changed by him. What would it look like if we prioritise God's presence above ourselves? 
Well, in order to answer that question, I think we need to understand the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. The omnipresence of God is God everywhere present. It's, it speaks of the universal accessibility. Everyone on the planet and beyond has access to the omnipresence of God. We read about it in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The presence of God, the omnipresence and the manifest presence was present in creation. All creation bears the marks of the omnipresence of God. We, we know that the uncaused God caused matter itself to come into reality. And when Adam uh, sinned and he tried to hide from the presence of God, how many of us know that was a pointless exercise? It is impossible because uh, everywhere we are, God is. There can be no place where God isn't. So it is pointless to run away from God in your shame or in your sin, because the omnipresence of God is wherever you are, the best response when you've sinned, or when you're struggling, or when you feel great, or when you don't feel so great. The only reasonable, rational, intelligent response to an almighty, beautiful, wonderful Saviour is to run to Him every single time. Sometimes I have conversations with people and they'll be talking about oh yeah, I haven't been for a while and just going through some struggles in my life and working through some things. And isn't it amazing how something the, the enemy has convinced us that when we're going through really tough times or we're working through stuff in our own hearts, we run away from the very thing that's gonna help us. I'm like, if you're sick, don't stay away, turn up to the prayer meeting. If you're struggling in some area of your life, don't run away, run to the house of God. Let it, let it, all hang out, so to speak. Let it all bear for what it is because God's omnipresence, He's all seeing eye. He already knows. And you can meet with Him in your bedroom. You can meet with Him in your car. You can meet with Him in a park. You can meet with Him down the street. You can meet with Him in a cafe. But there's something about when we gather together as God's people and we bring our stuff with us. I don't come because to, to worship because I've got it all worked out and I'm perfect. I come because I want Him. And I, and I want to be with His people. And I wrestle and I, 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 I lay it all out there before Him in the midst of all that is happening. And I say, God, would you meet me right where I'm at? There's something freeing. There's something empowering about that. I think David, a man after God's own heart, my personal favourite other than Jesus' character in the Bible, he had a revelation of the omnipresence of God. He said in Psalm 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. All throughout the Bible, including the Apostle Paul, men and women had this revelation of the omnipresence of God. Acts 17, 28, Paul said, in Him, being in Christ, in His presence, we live and move and have our very being. I wanna live and move and have my very being in the presence of Jesus. 
I want Jesus to be so all-consuming in my life that it's like I'm a walking combustible flame and that wherever I go, that flame goes with me and that there is a presence, whether it's on an airplane or whether it's in a cafe or whether it's speaking to someone, the flame of His presence is consuming. It's magnetising. It's drawing to the revelation of love for Jesus in my life. Can we pursue that to that end? Can we be those types of people, but you need to understand the omnipresence is different to the manifest presence. The manifest presence of God is the tangible nearness of God. It was what we were just tasting of and experiencing. And something tells me we're gonna taste even more in the days and weeks and months to come. I really believe that we are going to taste of and we're gonna see. I, I keep looking for a glory cloud in this room. I believe there's coming a day where truly there'll be manifestations of the Spirit that will be a sign and a wonder in this house that He is here. We know He's here, we sense Him here. But, but every now and then He breaks through even natural dimensions and reveals His glory and His might and His power. Oh Lord, let us steward You and host You in a way that You would want to come and manifest your tangible nearness to us in this hour. You see, when the presence of God manifests, right there is transformation. There is something about 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of God. That is not just a head knowledge idea or a cerebral notion where you acknowledge the glory of God. Oh yes, I understand theologically or just, you know, at least it's written on a piece of paper, the glory, we're gonna behold the glory. No, it literally means beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we are beholding, we are conformed to that same image and we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. When you encounter, when you live in the presence and you 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 engage and relate to the presence of God and that presence becomes uh, all-encompassing and tangible, right there is your moment of encounter and transformation. There's a fundamental difference between acknowledging the omnipresence and encountering the manifest presence. Frank Hartley said this, the reason the church is in crisis today is because we have settled for omnipresence rather than the manifest presence of God. We are far too content as a generation of Christians to just go through the motions of another church service and another life group and another and another and not actually encounter the living Lord Jesus. No, I was glad when they said, let us come to the house of the Lord. We should come expecting that we are gonna see an awe, a sign and a wonder. We should leave expecting that the sign, awe and wonder of heaven goes with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm expecting this week for a sign, an awe and a wonder to shock me again at His goodness and His mercy and His grace. I'm expecting another testimony from the first service again of someone being healed of a steel rod in their spine as God revealed that and showed that to me. I'm expecting, I'm not hoping, I'm not wishing, I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
You actually have to believe this. You can't pay mental assent to it. If this is all just play acting, then let's pack our bags and leave right now. It's either real or it's real. And if it's real, then it's accessible. And if it's accessible, it's available. And if it's available, you've got to pursue it. You've got to get after it. You've got to make it your own. It's not enough to live vicariously through my revelation or my faith. And God gives us ascension gift ministries and spiritual parents to inspire, equip and encourage. But the Lord is giving every single person in this room an invitation today to taste and see that He is good, to experience the fullness of who He is in your life. And so... If God's presence is so universally accessible, why do so few experience His manifest presence? And the simple answer is that so few of us are in pursuit of Him. We're in pursuit of other things. And yet all the time, God wants to reveal Himself to us more than we want to encounter Him. But if you're gonna encounter the manifest presence of God, it requires pursuit. You never possess what you don't pursue. You can be a talented athlete, have all of the opportunities in the world. But if you don't jump on a plane and go to the other side of the world and get after that thing, you're never gonna possess it. You you, you can, you know, have an idea about what you want your life to look like or a vision that God's given to you. you. You can have a vision for a ministry. But if you don't start to pursue it, you'll never possess it. You can like the idea of a deeper relationship with God. You can love the idea of the manifest presence of God. But if you don't actually begin an intentional pursuit of Him, you're never going to taste, you're never going to possess what it is that God has for you. And I think sadly, too many of us are like Jacob in Genesis 28, 16, when it comes to the presence of God. And he comes, he awakens out of his sleep and he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. We've got to understand that there is a difference, fundamental difference between acknowledging the presence of God and experiencing it. You can be in a service, you can even be listening to a word and acknowledge, yeah, that's okay, that's good. Yep, something's happening right now. Or you can step in and experience. And Pastor Stacy was calling us and inviting us to go deeper, to get set free, to to embrace a childlikeness. What was that? An invitation to experience. And and unless we become like little kids, we're not gonna be able to enter into the fullness of what the kingdom of God has made available to us. Jacob had been in the presence of God all along, but he was unaware. You can be in presence, but unaware that God is actually here. You can acknowledge, but never experience. I don't wanna just acknowledge, yeah, that's truth. I want to experience the truth. I don't wanna just acknowledge that God could have added to David so much more if he simply asked. I want to experience that. And others would be on the sideline with where life passes them by and say, how come they get that? How come they walk in that? How come they walk in that? Because someone decided to actually pick up who they are and what they're about and go in pursuit of God. 
We have got to make a decision. Can we just make a decision together? We refuse to be spectators of the move of God. We are going to be participators in everything. We are going to experience the fullness of everything that God has made available to us. There's so much more to God. There's so much more wildness to God. You've got to develop an appetite for risk. You've got to develop an appetite for wildness, the wildness of the Holy Spirit. You've got to get after the fullness of what is available to you. I do not want to get to heaven and, and go and walk into a, 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 a warehouse of things that God had for my life to taste and see of Him, but because of my low appetite for risk or because I... I, I, I was reserved in my approach because I'm worried about what would people think about me. The greatest obstacle to experiencing the fullness of who God is, is the fear of man. And the more that, that is broken off of our lives, the more that you can be who God has truly created you to be. What God is truly asking you to go after. Pursuing God is not about closing the gap on some cosmic spatial distance because He's so unreachable. No, it's actually about cultivating a conscious awareness of His longings on your heart, the whispers and the impressions. And if you would steward the 50 cent impression and the 20 cent longing and respond to it, it will compound with interest. I'm hearing so clearly, more than ever before in my life, hearing so clearly the voice of God. It's because I'm res I responded years and months ago and weeks ago to 50 cent whispers. I think David understood this response of spiritual awareness. He was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect in character according to the nature of God, but he was in pursuit of because he would respond to the longings that the Father, the Spirit of God would put on his heart. He says in Psalm 27, 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. See, many of us, we hear the invitation, we, we hear that pounding on our heart, that knock on the door of our heart, but someone has to open the door. You gotta open the door. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Lots of people have God, everyone has at some point God knocking on the door of their heart, but whether or not you're a man or a woman after God's own heart comes back to your response to that knocking your response to that longing. And so we've got to cultivate a, a habit of spiritual response, spiritual receptivity and sensitivity and discernment and awareness. It's got to be cultivated intentionally. You know, when two people fall in love, they aren't just in close proximity to each other. We work with people all the time. In our workplaces, we're in close proximity to each other. When you go to school and you sit next to someone, you're in close proximity to each other. The difference in whether you fall in love with that person is whether you experience their personality. You actually experience them. And, and, and 
you become so intimate with them that the barriers that are between you over time eventually disappear until they see the real you. That's what God wants with you and I. Drawing near to God is about the barriers coming down as we taste and we see and we experience Him. And all the barriers and limitations and our false selves and all the things we present before Him all fall away until we are united, spirit, soul, and body. And all that we are is His and all that He is, is in us. And the reason that God invites us to draw near is because of pure love for us. And I really believe over the coming weeks and months, God is going to deepen our revelation of of the Father's love for us and what it truly means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Because I read somewhere, it says, faith, hope and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. So if that was the revelation under the new covenant, we better know it. We better understand it. Because apparently it affects everything. In our lives. You see, God is inviting us to draw near and closer to Him in this season, not just because He loves us, but He desires a dwelling place for His presence on earth. You know, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there is this meta narrative theme that God is here and He is looking for a person and a place to dwell with. And I really believe if we're going to be consistent, with the revelation of Scripture, we've got to prioritise His presence above a lot of other things that the Western church has prioritised. How many of us know there's a lot of good things that we can do, but you can do all the good things if you don't have His presence. Good things can become bad things. Because you start to do them for the wrong reasons. And you start to make it about you rather than Him. Lots of good, amazing people that do a lot of good, amazing things, but it's a void of the presence of God. It's the presence of God that produces eternal fruit. It's the presence of God that marks a person's life and ministry, that changes how they live their lives. It's the presence of God, the distinguishing factor that Moses had a revelation of was the presence of of God. And so if God dwelling among us is his desire, God's presence dwelling with us must be our goal. That must be our overwhelming pursuit. Moses had a revelation of this. David had a revelation of this. Speaking at the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts, they said that in the last days and through the church, there would be a restoration of the tabernacle of David. What is that? That the presence of God is central to everything that we are as New Testament believers and followers of Jesus. That there would be this restoration of this constant 24-7 awareness of the presence of God and that we would mobilise people, volunteers, professionals, singers, musicians, intercessors, prophets and prayers that would host the presence of God, that would be a people, a priesthood under His glory, that we would host His presence and that as we host His presence, all the nations shall see and say, I make me one of your own. I wanna be known under your name. I wanna be... Uh, under the wing of your cloak. I want to be known amongst you. Why? Because when you encounter the beauty of who Jesus is, He's a King everyone is looking for. He's a leader and a Saviour. Everyone is, everybody's looking for a Saviour like Jesus. 
And I think Moses in the old covenant, apart from David, had a little bit of insight into this. That's an understatement. Moses knew that what set Israel apart, what set him apart from everyone else was God's manifest presence. He says in verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight? I and your people, is it not? And you're going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. You need to understand what's happening here in this passage. God calls Moses in Exodus 33 to leave Mount Sinai after Israel had just been worshipping the golden calf, to leave Mount Sinai and go to the promised land. But God said something disastrous. He said, I'm not going with you. He said, I'll send an angel ahead of you. That angel will drive out the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Cellulites and the Vegemites. But I'm not going with you because you're rebellious and I wanna cut you off. And even rebellious Israel knew this is a disaster. Even rebellious people know when disasters struck. And Moses picks up on it, assumes the posture of an intercessor because he's in pursuit of God and he goes to the tent of meeting and he begins a conversation. And he begins to remind God of his covenantal promises. He begins to remind God of what God had prophesied over him and his people. Can I just encourage you, if you've not seen prophecies or words that God has spoken over you come to pass yet, you need to get in God's face and remind Him. After all, what does Paul's letter to Timothy mean when it says, by the prophecies previously made about you, wage a good warfare. My paraphrase, dust your prophecies off, get in God's face and remind Him of what He said. He is not afraid of you reminding Him, although He is sovereign in His timing and His season and outworking of His Word. I have seen acceleration and a quickening of the times and seasons in my life as I relentlessly brought back before Him every single day the Word that He spoke, the promise that He gave and everything that He said was mine. I said, God, You said this, You promised this, You prophesied this. And it is amazing what God will do in response responding to people that are relentless in seeking after that which God has promised them that has not been fulfilled yet. This is what Moses is doing. He understands something about the nature of God enough to know that I have full access to go into His presence and remind Him of what He has spoken over my life. God asked Israel to strip off their ornaments. What were the ornaments? The ornaments were those objects of idolatry. In other words, whatever competes with your pursuit of the presence of God has got to be stripped away and stripped off and stripped back so that what remains is the purity of your worship, the purity of your hunger. Moses is talking with God and he says, God, I know you've called us to go to the promised land, but you've said you're not going with us. You haven't told us whom you're sending. And it's interesting, Moses is more concerned about who's going with him than how they're gonna get there. Yeah. 
Many of us are consumed with what the dream is. How are we gonna fulfill that dream? No, the more important question is, who are you going on the journey with? Who's leading you? Who's taking you? Who, 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 who is important? Don't, don't you love it when, when it doesn't really matter what you do, but because of who you're with, it is all just a blur? Why? Because you get lost in the presence of the who and you're just like, uh, I don't care. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do this. Why? Because you've fallen in love with the who. Stop worrying about the what and the how if the who isn't with you. That's a word for someone right now, I tell you. Because some of us get so fixed on what's the strategy? What's the blueprint plan? What, what are we gonna do? How is it all gonna happen? I don't know. All I know, he said, I'm with you. You know, right now we're on a journey, probably a three, four, five year journey of planning and praying about the strategy for redeveloping this site as we're growing and what God wants to do here, prayer chapels and all sorts of things. And, and we've got experts and this and that. There's a whole lot we don't know, but I know who's with us. If you have to wait until you've got it all worked out before you go and do something, you're gonna be waiting a whole long time. I just made a decision, God, you said that settles it. The who matters more than the what. The Lord can take care of your how if He knows that He can trust you with who He is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and He will make straight your paths. Is this helping anyone today? And so from Moses' encounter, we get insight into what it looks like to prioritise His presence. What does it mean His presence is our priority? This is some of what it means. It means we create space to minister to the Lord. How much margin, how much space do you make in your life to minister to the Lord? Because Moses, he would leave the camp, he would go to the tent of meeting and he would meet with God face to face. And he would converse with God and God would speak to him as a friend speaks to a friend. Whatever space you give God, he will fill. Do you realise your giving is giving space to God? I learnt years ago, never just sow in abundance, sow in lack. People are like, oh, when I get the job and when I get this, I'll, I'll tithe or I'll sow. No, you need to sow in your lack. Whatever jars of oil you lay out for God, whatever room you make for Him, He'll fill. If you go, God, there's my little cookie jar of space for you. He'll go, well, there's a whole ocean, but I'll, I'll fill that. But if you open the door and say, God, have all there is of me, He goes, I'll give you all there is of me. Whatever space you give Him. And this is why the goal of our gatherings together is not to parade someone's talents and abilities. The goal of our worship gatherings is to actually create space for His presence to come. And once He does, then we follow His leadership. 
Okay, Lord, you're doing this over here. Let's go here. That's why I love our house because you never know what's going to happen. One day there could be healing. One day there could be joy. One day there could be, uh, you know, an earthquake of the Holy Spirit's presence manifesting deliverance. Another time it's quiet and still. Our gatherings are not meant to be rigid and formulaic. They're meant to be like a river. And we're just paddling with the river of living water. We're just going where he's going. But if we don't create space to actually recognize and discern where God is, we're gonna miss what the river's doing. That's why we don't apologize about the fact sometimes services go a long time. and Sometimes they don't, mostly they do. And that's okay. I just go, hey, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. That's okay. But we're, we're in and we're paddling. And no one's under any obligation or pressure to stay or do anything. But our first ministry is unto the Lord. It's the vertical first and then the horizontal. Too many churches are only thinking about the customer when we should be thinking about the Saviour and who our Creator is and whether or not He's actually in the building. That's novel. Am I right or am I right? And we, of course we love people. Of course we want to serve people. Of course we care about the kids being out in the kids' ministry for 15,000 hours. Of course we care. But I also trust that the Lord knows what He's doing. And I could tire myself out and be here for 10 gazillion hours laying hands on everyone. Sometimes we do that. But one encounter in the presence of the Lord, in the manifest presence of God, will change your life. What does it mean to make His presence our priority? We cease from our labours and enter into His rest. We cease from our striving. What did God say to Moses in verse 14? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest is not the absence of activity. It's the posture of a heart that finds its source in the presence. It's a posture of relinquishing control. The more control you want and you seek after, the less rest you will have. So do you live your life out of a place of rest or restlessness? Because the more that we want to control something, restlessness, anxiety will attach itself to that. And this is why you have to Learn, if you're gonna host or carry the presence of God, to let go and entrust yourself to Him. It is a beautiful thing when you find someone, encounter something where you can just trust. God is so faithful. He will never let you down. He will never let you go. He's not in a bad mood with you and I. He doesn't look at something you say, something you do and go, oh no, I'm gonna hide myself away. No, he says, come to me, come to me. I really believe that we're going to see a, a deepening 
of the manifestation of supernatural signs and wonders, but it will never have been more easier. Easy, rest, peace. The more you have to strive, the more you're in the soul realm, not the spirit realm. Soul is mind, emotions, will. We can bring the strain of our mind, emotions, and will to try and produce something that can only be secured by the Spirit. And I said to the staff during the week, and I believe to us as a church, that the, the, the motive is pure. The language is even coming along in whatever God is doing here. But I believe that we're coming into a new dimension of the things of the Spirit coming out of the soulish realm into the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, it's like when the glory breaks out, miracles break out like popcorn with no one even touching you. But it's because we've cultivated something of learning to host and prioritize His presence where the Lord says, I can trust you with my presence. What does it mean to make His presence our priority, it means we pursue God's presence over God's promises. What does it say in verse 15? It says, Moses said, Lord, if your presence doesn't bring, doesn't go with us, don't bring us up into the promised land. And this is my concern, is that too many of us would be content for God's handouts rather than God's face. We want the rewards of his hands, the blessings and provision and the material things, the tangible things, more than we want his face and his presence. I've seen this in the past when planted a church and we led that and people would come and they'd be there every week and they'd be seeking God. As soon as they found their spouse, got married, within weeks gone, never seen again. They were pursuing God because they wanted a spouse. They were pursuing his hand, not his face. The beautiful thing about hosting the manifest presence of God, it's the tipping point of God's promises. So when you pursue him, He actually gives you even better than what you bargained for. But many people just seek God for a season. They they need financial help. They need a better job. They need a partner. And then when they get the handout, the pursuit stops. Moses said, we don't want the promised land if you don't go with us because a land flowing with milk and honey without the presence, it's not worth it. You've got to want him so bad that whatever he's got for you, you'll receive. A person cannot receive anything unless it's given to them from heaven. And people who prioritize the presence of God are in constant, relentless pursuit about experiencing more of him. And this is what happens in Moses' life. 
God says, yes, my presence will go with you. Yes, I am gonna affirm my covenant with you. And Moses says, I see a window of opportunity. And he says, please show me your glory. What was he asking for? He was asking God to give a full revelation of himself to him. In all of your glory, God, show me who you are. And God hit him in the cleft of the rock and he walked by revealing his back and his backside to him. He only withheld from him that which would harm him. But he gave him a picture and a glimpse of his glory and scholars suggest to us that when Moses got that picture of God's back, Moses saw where God had been throughout human history and was able to go back and write from Genesis 1, the account of creation, all the way through of what God had done because one glimpse of the glory of God, it will change your life forever. You'll see where God's been, you'll see where God is, you'll see where God's going. God, show us your glory, show us your face. I thank you for the wonderful and amazing things you've given to me out of your hand. I thank you, but God, I am seeking your face. And here's the promise. If we would be a people that would seek his face rather than his hand, when God finds himself someone who will pursue him at any cost, he will withhold nothing of himself from them. Only that which could harm them. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.